you guys have your Bibles, you can open to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And today we are going to do the first five verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Amen. Are we there? Yes. We're all set? Beautiful. I'm going to read and then I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Alright. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 to 5. It says, Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am not conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Let us pray. Father, again, You are good, and You are perfect, and You are glorious. I always want to be able to say some of the things that You are when I first bow to You and pray, Lord God. That's who we are praying to. I can keep going on and on and on and speaking of Your amazing characteristics, Your attributes, who You are, which separates You from all of Your creation. You're a wonderful God, and this morning, Lord God, you granted us the privilege of getting up, Lord God, getting up healthy, Lord, with eyes to see, ears to hear from your Spirit, what you have to say to us through your Word, and we're here because we want to worship you together as a family, Lord God, and that's exactly what we are. We are the family of you, Father, and we thank you. So, Lord, this morning, I pray again that you would... Speak the very things that each of us here as individuals need to hear and as a group need to hear. And I trust, Lord God, that whatever you made clear to me, you'll make clear to everyone else. And I trust also, Lord God, that you may go in a thousand different directions for each individual. You're able to do that. So, Father, I'm just humbled and thankful that I can just be a mouthpiece for you right now. And I trust, Lord God, not in my ability, but in your Ability, You are able to do all things, Father. So again, all of us here t- together as a body will clearly yield to you this morning. As a matter of fact, we must yield to you this morning, Lord God, so that we can get out of the way. So we thank you and we praise you in advance for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys. So let's look at this. So just to give you three points that I kind of saw as I did this... Um, as we go through this, the three are going to be how the pastors or leaders and the congregation and the congregation should view the pastors and the leaders. Secondly, the pastor's mandate. And then third, the end goal. So hopefully this will be clear to you as we go through this. So let's look at verse 1. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of of God. Okay, so let's look at how the pastors in the congregation should view the pastors. So the first thing mentioned here is a servant, that we should view them as servants. And this concept 
that comes up frequently in Scripture. This concept comes up rather frequently in Scripture. And anyone who really has a, a good grasp of who God is and what He has done and especially the significance of their own salvation, they're going to be confronted with this concept of servanthood often as we seek the Lord in prayer, as we get into His Word. We understand that we are but servants. So I want to look at a few passages of servanthood and take some things that we can learn. Simply just going through the passages and just taking some important things that we can learn. So the first one is going to be John chapter 12, verse 26. John chapter 12, verse 26. I'll give you guys a second to open there. And as you're opening air, it's our Lord Jesus who is speaking right now. And this is what He says in verse 26. If anyone serves Me, he must follow Me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now this is a great verse. What we see here from this verse is the servant follows who? Christ, who is the Master, right? So the servant follows the Master and strives to do whatever the Master wishes. In other words, it's not about them and their desires. It's about what the Master wishes. And the other beautiful thing is that even though that, that is their job, right? That is their job. In one sense, there's nothing to be praised about that. That is their job. The one who is faithful is honored by God. God doesn't have to do any of that. Yet God says that He will honor those who honor Him and serve Him well. So that's an encouragement. That should be motivation for us to be able to, to hear that from our Father. The next one is going to be in Galatians chapter 5 in verse 13. Paul's epistle to the Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. And this is what our Lord says to Paul. He says, For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And again, I believe this verse to be very important because it speaks of the motive behind the service. And God is very much interested in our motives. As a matter of fact, if our motive is wrong, we really didn't do anything that we were supposed to do, right? So we learn, what we learn here is that the heart or driving force behind servanthood ought to be love. Love from an absolutely pure heart, and that is what really true love is. If we love, then we will look to serve Christ and others. And if we love, we're not going to be looking to be the one served all the time. Right? We're going to look to serve others. That's what true love is. We are considering, we are esteeming others as more important than ourselves. Right? We're not the center of attention. Rather, Christ is. And if Christ is the center of attention, then He is going to put on our hearts to love others because He gave a great example. If you turn yourself to Mark chapter 10, Gospel of Mark chapter 10. Again, our Lord is speaking in this Gospel. 
And all these verses are pretty familiar verses. If you guys are reading your Bibles, Mark chapter 10, verse 43 to 45. And he says this, But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man who is God, right? did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. So, by us serving, we are following in the steps of our Master, who was actually the greatest servant of all. There is the call often in Scripture to imitate that which is good, right? I've said it a hundred times since I've been teaching now that Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? And that's a tough thing to be able to say, but I said that every single believer, every one of us in this room, should be able to say, under the power of the Holy Spirit, that our actions should be able to follow, that we would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? And I'm going to say, especially in our own homes, whatever context you are in your own family dynamic, Okay, in your own inner circle, so to speak. Okay, I think of oftentimes, I think when people are home, they let their guard down, right? And it should be the complete opposite. Number one, we never let our guard down. I understand when we go to church, we are we're to be our best. Okay, I get that, but we're supposed to be our best at home. What kind of example are we giving? What, what kind, how, what, how, how can we compel our children to listen to us, to follow us, and, 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 and do what we say if we're teaching them what God says, if we're doing the complete opposite when we're home, we're being complete hypocrites. As a matter of fact, we don't want them to listen to us. We want them to hopefully do that better than us when they get older. But it should start in the home. We don't let our guards down in the home. And I think that's why the reason that a lot of youth ministries fail is because the dynamic at the home has failed. And something is really wrong. Youth ministry is to come alongside the parents if the parents are doing their job, right? So it's so important. That was just kind of a side note as I was thinking this is how, and how important it is for us to be doing that in our homes. That's it. Let's look now at John chapter 13, verse 16. John chapter 13, verse 16. And here is just a great verse to remind us of the proper perspective, right? It's very easy to start losing our focus. So the right perspective is always good. John chapter 13, verse 16. Our Lord says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. So finally, we must always be aware and cognizant that we are not greater than the one who called us. And the one who called us is God. We are not greater than the one who redeemed us and equipped us and sent us to do the work of service in his kingdom. We're not greater than him. We are to imitate him and be like him and yield to his power. 
But if you look at Scripture in your Bible, if you're someone who, you know, again, not, a, not all of us are going to know that, but when you get into the, you start looking at the original language, almost all the time when we see the word servants in the Bible, it's the word diakonos in the Greek. Okay, it's where we get our, where we get deacon from, right? And it's a form of that word, and it means servant, right? But here, interestingly enough, it's a different word. Servants, in this passage, is the word hyperitas. And it means, and it gets used only twice, two other times in Scripture, and it means a rower or an attendant. And it was essentially referring to a galley slave. A galley was a low, flat worship used by the Romans. If any of you guys seen Ben-Hur, right? Remember that? Scene when they're all down and they're rowing the ship. That's actually an accurate depiction of how, it's, how the Roman ships were. And those rowers were, were slaves of the lowest rank, right? Essentially, they were indispensable. They were indispensable. It's the same word used also in Luke chapter 4, verse 20. After Jesus was tempted, he went into the synagogue. And in Luke 14, 20, he says this. After he said some words, he closed the book in verse 20 gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. So the attendant was always there to help and assist a higher ranking rabbi or priest. They were helpers. R.C.H. Lenski says something, I think that might be helpful. To the Greeks, the term meant only an attendant or helper who assists a higher master. In this case, Christ is that master. Every apostle and every minister and pastor is only an underlining, a helper or an attendant of Christ. His sole function is to take orders and at once and without question to execute them. His will is only that of his master. So, again, that's, that, that's important. Paul is saying he's not trying to undervalue himself. God made him who he is. But when it's all said and done, he's saying, listen... That's who we are. Look at, look at us as servants. We're all servants in God's kingdom. DJ. Would you just repeat that Greek word again? Hyperitas. 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 If I'm pronouncing it correctly. No, it doesn't matter. But, I, yeah. And it means a rower. A rower. All right. So, so he refers to himself as a, as a servant, and then the other way the pastor is to be viewed is as a steward. A steward. And a steward is essentially a manager, right? Usually, in the, in the, in the context here, the manager of a household. And, but really, it could be a manager of anything that we can learn from this. If someone manages something well, we would say that he or she is a good steward of what they are in charge of, Right? There is great responsibility in being a steward. But I'm also going to say this, that it's a great honor and privilege to be put in such a position by the higher authority who put us there. Stewardship is extremely important. And it's a wonderful honor to be put in that position. The heart behind stewardship, or I should say the heart behind good stewardship, is what? What word? I'm sure there's other good answers, but what word am I looking for? The heart behind stewardship, or good stewardship, is what? 
servant. A servant, okay. Grateful. Grateful, that's good. All good. Love, humble, all good things. I'm going to give uh, an Ochian type of thing. It starts with O and rhymes with phobedience. Okay. Obedience, right? Okay. So, obedience is the heart behind stewardship. The steward must know the master and what the master desires of him and wants of him. So for that, I want us to turn real quick to Matthew chapter 25. A familiar passage. And at first I was hesitant of using this because, well, we'll we'll see why. But there's something good that I believe that we can learn here. It's the parable of the talents. Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30. This is what it says. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own... He's talking about the kingdom of God, by the way. For it is the kingdom of God, just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. So to one he gave five talents... To another, two, and to another, one, each according to his own ability. That's a very important phrase right there. And he went on his journey. And immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, but I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and went away, and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, Take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have, I'm sorry, from the one who does not have, even what he does have, shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into outer outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, so we don't understand, I'm not here to give an exposition on this parable, okay? My reasoning for referring to this parable is to learn what I believe to be the most important thing that we can take from this as the church, 
Now I understand it's difficult because of what is said of the last slave being cast out and there's different interpretations of what this means. But what I want to take is this concept of making the best use of what God has so graciously given us for the purpose of His glory. Right? Remember that what God gives is the same as Him entrusting us with something. Right? We see that all were given much, but two first had the proper understanding of their master and responded in loving service. And then one had the wrong or limited understanding of their master and proved to be very lazy and selfish. That kind of understanding, the right understanding of your master, doesn't just happen, right? Now, we don't just understand God. Understand, He opens up our eyes. He reveals His truth to us. And we are granted faith and repentance. We believe and we're justified, right? There's a lot more to salvation to that. So in order to get the proper understanding, we must be diligent in seeking Him and learning about Him through His Word and in prayer and actually having an intimate relationship with Him. We ought to know what our Master desires and if we care about Him more than anything else, we will seek to be good managers of what He has given us. Think of how many many ministers have failed in their family having their priorities screwed up, let's just say. Or God has entrusted us with anything. It can be our jobs, the people He's put in our lives, right? Our children is always the easiest thing, our spouses. How are we, what are we doing with that? Right? So important. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 Says, says this, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So here, we learn of having the proper understanding of how to use the spiritual gifts that God has given us. They are gifts from God to His people. And how we are to be good steward of them starts with understanding what they are for, right? What these gifts are for. Not for you, but for serving the body of Christ. And when we use our gifts to build up each other in the most holy faith, we are being a good steward. Now, certainly we're, we're part of the body of Christ, right? So that includes the individual too. But that gift is for the body. But I would say also that this only happens when we use, uh, when we when we operate in those specific gifts, and not with those that we don't have. Think of how many Christians desire something that God has not given them. Well, first of all, that's just a slap in the face to God. That is truly a slap in the face to God, I believe, because. You're so set on wanting to do what you think you want to do for God. And, and I understand, okay, maybe it's okay. But God has given you something. That is a gracious gift. It's important for the church. And you should be using that gift. That's being a good steward. If you're trying to operate in another gift that hasn't been given to you, well, you're not going to do it because you don't have that gift. 
it's going to fail. It's not going to be fruitful. You understand? So, so important. Before I go on, any questions? I'll keep going. Comments? We're good? Sharon? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay, so let's, oh, let's open real quick to Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 25. And then we'll move on after this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 25. And I think this really wraps this whole concept up. up. Colossians 3, verse 22 to 25, with emphasis really on 23. Slaves in all things... Obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So we can say right there, honoring wholeheartedly when no one's looking, when it's just you by yourself, whatever it is, you honor your master. 23. Whatever you do, that includes everything, right? Do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. I have to remind myself of this verse constantly. Especially when I go to work. (laughs) Especially when I go to work. Verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So we can't try to get out of it by saying, well, this master or this whatever is no good ungodly, whatever. Well, that doesn't give you an out. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the heritage, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So that means wherever the Lord has you, in a marriage, with parents that maybe are ungodly, at a job with a rotten boss, whatever the case may be, God has you there. And that's one of the means by which God is bringing sanctification to us. That is of the Lord, so what should we do? Serve Him with all of our heart. Verse 25, For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. And I believe, I don't believe, now I do have to study, I didn't do an exposition on this verse, it was a a cross-reference. But that's written to the church. I don't think he's talking about an unbeliever here, he's leaving something else here. No, this is for the church. There is consequences to our actions. Okay? Presently, in this earth, and eternally, as far as reward, loss of rewards, and we've been studying that, right? So, so important. Okay, so, how is a man supposed to regard them as servants and stewards? Verse 2, back to our text in chapter 4. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not even done. I'm not done with verse 1 yet. Forgive me. Okay. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Let me touch on this real quick. Here we have the statement, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So Paul and the rest of the apostles were the highest authority under Christ given to the church. They were gifts to the church. They were the precursors, I believe, to the pastors who are the leaders and are to shepherd the church. And their primary function is that of teaching and shepherding, which means protecting, right? The shepherding is based on the teaching, right? 
the teaching that comes from God. So they are stewards with the responsibility of teaching, teaching God's Word accurately, doing their best to make sure that they are being true to this Word. Okay? And because of human sin, everyone's going to mess up. Everyone's going to mess up. But that is still the primary function. So that is how the pastors and the congregation should view the pastors as stewards and servants of Christ. Next, I want to move on to now the pastor's mandate. Verse 2. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful or trustworthy, as my version says, but faithful is actually better. Okay, that is what the word means. So the mysteries of God are embedded in Scripture, right? They're embedded in Scripture, especially that of the Gospel. And they, the leaders, are required to be found faithful to what the Word of God teaches. Not to worldly things that we want to try to add to it. Right? What does the Word of God teach? They are to be faithful in their studying. They are to be faithful in their preparing. They are to be faithful in heeding. Because you can do all that and then not pay careful attention to it yourself. And then you fall. You're, you're just... You're doing it without the, with the wrong motive. So if they're faithful in studying, preparing, and heeding, that will lead to them being faithful in living everything out, which is so important. Now, so much is encapsulated in the word faithful. Roger Ellsworth gives some insight to this that's helpful. When we put the word servant and steward together, this is what we have, he says. The preacher is one who dispenses to the family of God the truths revealed by God and he supervises the family according to the wishes of the master. The indispensable ingredient for being a steward was faithfulness to the master of the house. The steward had absolutely no authority of his own but simply administered the household in accordance with the wishes of the master. End quote. And I think that says it really well. I believe that we all want to be good stewards here. I really do. I, I know this church pretty good. You're my family, right? And I really do believe that. But just like there is no super pill that can make us healthier or more wise, it requires diligence on our part in heeding what the Word of God says. And not just agreeing with it. You can agree with it. We've talked about that all the time. We can agree with it, maybe even admit our wrongdoing in something, but that's just the starting point. That's important. But if it stays there and you don't do anything about it, you're actually worse than you were before. Because you know something, you do nothing about it. And that is not good. So in our heeding, we are believing what we are heeding and clinging very tightly to it. And the reason for this faithfulness on the steward's part is because... He is accountable to only one, and that is the Lord. He's accountable to the Lord. So important. <clears throat> Let's finish verses 3 to 5. It says, But to me it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you, or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, 
Do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So again, in the beginning here, it can almost sound like Paul's being a little arrogant, but he's not. No. And neither is he saying that there is no personal accountability to each other, because we are. There is. But he is putting the greatest weight on the only one that is truly fit to judge him. And that is the Lord. He is putting the greatest weight on the one who made him and is in control of his very life. And the only one he is truly accountable is to the Lord. Right? I like what MacArthur says. He says, We can benefit greatly from the counsel of a wise spiritual friend and sometimes even from the criticisms of unbelievers. Think about that for a second. You know, you ever been criticized? You're supposed to be a Christian. This, whatever, whatever. Maybe we failed. That is humbling. We should learn from that. Well, shame on you, right? But no human being is qualified to determine the legitimacy, quality, or faithfulness of our work for the Lord. We are not even qualified to determine those things for ourselves. So, if we take what Brother MacArthur says seriously, because I believe he is right, can we have the confidence that we are doing well? Can we have the confidence that we are doing well? You know, we have the tendency to compare ourselves to others. Some do this more than others. Now, surely we can learn from others that obey God. If Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, when we see a brother or sister imitating the Lord well, that's a good thing to compare yourself, that action. Well, I'm not doing that. They're doing what God's supposed to do. Right? It all comes back to God. You understand what I'm saying? But we should be looking only in one place. Turn real quick to Galatians chapter 6. A month overdue in memorizing this chapter with John Oach. But uh, I like this verse a lot. This, this verse is really important. Another good verse for perspective. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. It says, But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. And I want to read the same verse in the NLT because I, I actually like the way it's worded. and It's a good translation. Listen to what it says. It says, Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. And I like the wording here, and I think it's a good interpretation of what God is saying to us. We all want to know that we are doing well, right? And we can. We can know that we're doing well. If we are set on doing what He tells us, right? If we understand God and who He is, again, think of all His attributes, think of the doctrine of God, and there's so much to learn of who God is, right? If we only care about pleasing Him and with a humble, devoted heart seek to obey Him, we can have the confidence that what we did is in fact the job well done and we can have joy in it. We're not comparing ourselves with anyone else. This is just us with God. Here is what your word says. Lord, I understand it. I'm going to be set on doing this. And if I am set on doing this under the Spirit's power, I don't need to worry about whether or not I'm doing the right thing. I know I am. I don't have to compare myself with anyone else. I know I am doing it.
and we can have that confidence. So I think that is very important. <clears throat> so we don't need the approval of others when we have the approval of God, ultimately. Again, listen to what MacArthur says here. He says, where there is sound doctrine and personal holiness, there is no justification for ranking God's servants. Remember what the Corinthian church was doing. That's why they were leeching on to certain people, giving them, elevating them to uh, a spot that only belonged to Jesus. That's no good. So finally, I want to give one last point. We had how the pastors should view themselves and the congregation should view them. We had the pastor's mandate. Then there's the end goal. The end goal. And I believe it's very simple. There's not much me to really say here. This is not all about the pastors of the church. Right? That's not right. All the things that the pastors are supposed to do and not do and how they should do and how they should live are all for the purpose of encouraging the sheep to be the same way. After all, the pastors are sheep as well. Right? So everything that they do and that they teach is so the rest of the flock can do and teach in their own context the same way. Parents teach their children to be like them. They should be. Right? Now, I've always had a problem with this. And maybe there's just a small context when this is acceptable. When parents say, oh, you can't do that. Well, how come you can do it? Oh, you can't do it because you're not old enough. Usually it's like maybe watching something on TV. Well, guess what? If it's not good for them, it's not good for you. Most likely. Right? So we want our kids to imitate us. I don't want them to imitate me when I'm doing something wrong. But I'm saying the ultimate goal, especially when they're really young, parents are to teach their children to be like them as they are supposed to be like Christ. Right? So again, we need to start being very aware of what's going on. If we're raising them to be adults, this should be the same things that we're doing. Our conduct should fit the very things that we teach. Everything that is said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, do you know that chapter? What does that chapter talk about? 1 Timothy chapter 3. Can you guys remember? Huh? What's the Word of God? What is it about? 1 Timothy chapter 3. The qualifications for two people, two types of people in the church. Elders and deacons, right? 1 Timothy chapter 3. Read that on your own. Okay? Everything that is said in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is for everyone to follow. In other words, yeah, these are, these are qualifications for those two offices that God has in the church. But if you look very carefully at that, it's just being like Jesus. That's what it is. We're called to be like Jesus. Now I understand there's a little bit difference. Okay, not every, not everyone's gonna, understand what I'm saying. If you look at the qualifications as far as the character parts of it, it sounds very much like the fruit of the spirit to me, mm-hmm. right? And we're all to be doing that. So the leaders are to be like Christ and teach Christ for the purpose of building up the whole congregation to be like Christ and also teach. Christ when they have opportunity. For the end goal of having an environment of people loving God and loving people. Being people that uphold God's perfect, beautiful law 
of how His kingdom is going to operate. Right? We're certainly not seeing that in the world. We don't see love of God and love of people in the world. We see little nuggets of it, right? Because they're still created in the image of God. But the church, we are to be that light in this world with each other. And it should stand out to all those out in the world that we're around. Right? So the end goal of everything is that we would all be servants and good stewards of what God has given to us. Amen? Any questions? Comments? Alright. Well, by the grace of the Lord, I'll just trust that it was clear. <laughs> Amen. Alright, well let's pray then. Father, you know, Lord, I, I know this Sunday school class often is like a lecture or another sermon, Lord God, but I won't force interaction, Lord. I just trust that if you have something to say, if there's any questions that need to be asked, Lord God, I'll trust that you will put that on the hearts of my brothers and sisters. And I also trust, though, I feel completely, I know there's no inability in myself. I trust, Lord God, that your word was clear through my unworthy lips. And I thank you for that. And just pray, Lord God, that you would help us to take what we just learned serious, Lord. That we are your servants. We are your slaves. But to be a slave for a holy, righteous master is the greatest thing in the world. And Lord God, we are your stewards. You have gifted us. You have given us wonderful things. Help us to embrace that. Be thankful for that. Know that we are accountable on how we handle that. So build us up in the most holy faith. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.